Uh, my name is Sean Spidell. I'm from Castle Valley Farms. Um, I'm the farm manager there, and we are going to talk about sourcing fertilizers. This can be a real pain if you have a quantity and uh, you need to get a certain, you don't need to spend an arm and a leg. So I'll, I'll do my best to go over just some of the basic ingredients to get your soil kind of balanced. And, uh, you know, we'll just talk about all sorts of things. Um, up here on the table in front of me are a bunch of fertilizer ingredients. So this is, you wouldn't need all these ingredients, but these are some of these are just examples of what would be needed. Um, a lot of times, you know, when it's all said and done, you come up with a blend, and the blend is what goes on the field. So this thing has about five or six different ingredients in it, according to the soil test that was pulled. Um, why don't we, though, before we get really rolling, let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day. We thank you for um, this agricultural conference and the possibilities that it brings to your church and your people. I pray, Lord, that you just be with our um, the leaders behind the scenes and you'd be with our um, the, all the volunteers, the students, Lord, and just bless in a mighty way. We love you and we want to serve you in our most nutritious capacities. In your name, amen. amen. So the reason that I feel to use fertilizers is to improve our, our, our nutrition, you know, to improve another person's nutrition, um, to have food that stores well, that doesn't rot in storage, that, you know, that lasts a long time, that actually does our body a lot of good, where we can actually eat less of it and it produces more for us. Uh, it takes less energy to actually digest. <laughs> On the first slide here, um, these are basically the nutrient sources that we have available. There might be a few that I forgot of major groups, but you have the, the vegetable composts, so plant-based composts. You have animal waste. You have what's already starting in the soil. I want to I key in on this, that there's always something starting in the soil. Always. It's not like a potting mix. You have what's coming in on your water. Do you have calcium? Do you have magnesium? Do you have a lot of chloride? Are you in a place in the Central Valley in California where it's a lot of boron? You know, some of these things are large considerations. You have another source is concentrates that get mined and refined from either the earth, the air, or the water. So from the earth, you know, would be something like, well... Monoammonium phosphate. You take something out of the air and you take something mined out of the earth and you create a fertilizer. So you take nitrogen out of the air and you take phosphate mined out of Idaho or Utah or um, Wyoming. Um, so that's what, typically what people think of with fertilizers, either compost or the granular fertilizers. And then there's also something to consider is what's unavailable in the ground. Um, as you, as you're Balance your soil, you'll notice that a lot of times nutrient levels increase because there's more biological life. So some of that does become available. So the goals of soil fertility is to create real nutritional food. I think this is really important for the time we live in. It's not enough to produce bulk. We have to have proven nutrition. 
be the best examples of stewardship and husbandry possible. I mean, this is the world that the Lord has given us. You know, we need to make it beautiful. Be financially solvent. And I think you can do that better with nutrient-dense food than you can with uh, struggling with insects and diseases. Have more fun, do more success, and live without regret. So, you know, you know, it's just like a home. We're trying to build a home for the microbes, but it really, if we husband the soil right, it turns back and feeds us. And start the health message from the ground up. I, I think that's a, that's a large one right there. So here's the way that I view this. It's not going to be 100% accurate. It's probably not even going to be totally accurate, but if you look in verse 6, or Genesis 2, verse 6, this is how nutrients used to flow. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth. Now, my mind is viewing it like you have this mist underground that's coming up. It's kind of like a perfect sub-irrigation system. It's carrying nutrients along with the mist, and it's coming right to the plant roots. And along with that, you have the microbes that are feeding things to the plants as well. This was, um, this was before man was formed. We don't have this now, but this is the way it was. All these slides, I'm going to try to put it together as a PDF so we can, you can all have access to them because there's going to be way more information and there's going to be some things on here that you're going to be squinting and not being able to see. I've already looked through here and I didn't realize how grainy it would look up on here, I think. So... So do plant and human nutrients appear in balance in all soils today? It's kind of a rhetorical question, but no, they really don't. You know, if they did, there would be no localized deficiencies in people or animals. You wouldn't have, um, you know, like for instance, back in Missouri at World War II time, you know, they had some soldiers had better teeth than other soldiers out of the same state. The Ozarks obviously have worse soils than the northern part of Missouri, which is tall grass prairie. I guess I say obviously, but that's not obvious. Trees don't necessarily indicate a healthier soil. You'd also have no reason to be sitting here. So this is my little valley. That's my little boy, Malachi. This is, our, this is what our home looks like. It doesn't totally show it because it's a little dark on the, on the south side of the canyon there, but it's basically, you can see that the world really did get destroyed. Um, we essentially, we live in this world that's really imbalanced, really imperfect, really destroyed. And, you know, it's, it's just like us. If we don't recognize our spiritual uh, deficiencies, then you know, the, the Lord is really good at showing us. But um, we're essentially at a, at a point in history where we really have to make our nutrition happen. You know, if we really want to live in the, in the country, I think it's time right now to build up some land so that it can carry us. You know, the Lord can always provide. I don't discount that, but um, it's like building your house. You know, does the Lord himself stand up your two-by-fours so you can put your, frame your wall? Does he, you know, drill holes and string your wire? No, there's, there's things that he's given us to do. It says, And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, and the creeping things, and the fowl of the heaven. And they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. Um, 
I think we have this idea sometimes where the flood really didn't destroy the earth. Like it just kind of like there's a bunch of water and then it kind of drained off. But there's, there's quite a few differences now than what we had before. Anybody know what this nutrient deficiency is? Which ones? Hmm? Not nitrogen. Anybody know? Anybody know what the leaf is? Maple. Yeah, it's a maple. It's a, it's a red maple. Uh, the potassium actually could be partly causing the deficiency of the other nutrient. It could be, because if I know how much... This is a picture out of Oregon. So in the Willamette Valley of Oregon, they, you know, they, have, they grow a bunch of shade trees. You know, the red maples is like everywhere. So my question to you is, will your compost completely fix this, alleviate it, or make it worse? Huh? And my, my answer is, it may. So... Do you know what nutrients your compost is actually adding? I love compost, folks, but I see it misused a lot. And I, I've pulled enough samples off of organic pieces to know that it, it, it's so easy to accidentally way over-apply compost. It's a natural thing. Um, you know, the phosphorus gets super high, the potassium gets super high, and composts are totally variable. One will have, like, 400 pounds per ton of calcium, and another one will have like 26, you know, something like that. I mean, these are large differences. So I'll give you the answer. Both of these are manganese. The one on the left is a moderate deficiency. The one on the right is a major deficiency. So um, there's a concept out there called, on the nutrient deficiency curve, about hidden hunger. Well, there's a, there's a point you can't even tell that a plant is starving, but it is starving. Um, the one on the left is not hidden hunger. It's just beyond hidden hunger. So it's into the visible deficiency. The one on the right is extreme hunger. The plant is starving for manganese. Um, a lot of growers, though, will see this and they'll put on iron, you know, which actually makes the problem worse. <laughs> so Because the two compete against each other. So this is just... I'm using this as an example that sometimes we can look at a plant and unless we're super familiar with it, we don't know really what's wrong with it. But, but all of the red maple varieties, you know, they, they come from bog soils, which typically have ultra-high levels of manganese. So they're not really efficient at taking up manganese. So one thing to consider in the world that we live in today is the concept of local food. I have a I have a problem. I like local food, but producing everything you need to supply into that local food producing system, I think it's going to be really difficult. Um, you know, boron is mined out of these various countries and then sold. Uh, we need boron. Boron moves starch from the leaf into the fruit. It helps to make it sweet. Um, it makes your corn longer. It makes uh, your growing points not die in a, in a deficiency. But even in the United States, you know, you see the United States is all in pink, and we think, well, there's a lot of boron here. Well, still 90% of the soil samples are deficient on boron. And uh, boron is needed in our joints. It's needed to prevent rheumatoid arthritis. Um, it's needed for sex hormone production in the parathyroid gland. So this just shows, you know, you know that there's all these different countries, but very few of them are supplying boron. I don't know of a way 
a natural way other than just mining it and delivering it to get the boron there. Here's another example. You have zinc. You know, these are the countries that where zinc is coming from. Um, probably our best source here in the United States is coming from a company called Zinc National out of uh, Mexico. Um, it's just on this northeast part of Mexico. This, a lot of the stuff out of China can be pretty high cadmium, so I'd watch out for that. And then this map shows cobalt, where cobalt is coming from. Um, what vitamin in our body has cobalt in the center, and why is it important to us? Huh? B12. And why is it important? You'll probably know more answers about it than I do. <laughs> it's to fit, you know, I, when I started pulling soil tests and I started looking at boron or uh, cobalt and molybdenum, because they're two really trace elements, there was a lot of them that required one or the other, or both. Um, yours down in Columbia didn't actually seem too bad. Was it cobalt that was good? Yeah, yours is not bad. I would not be too concerned about that. But a lot of them, like my soils, like 0.03, you know, it's like, <laughs> but they run cattle on the land. So I'm wondering if there's another cobalt source that they're getting. But on our farm, it's pretty low. We need cobalt to prevent pernicious anemia. You know, I don't believe we need to be eating liver to get the cobalt where it accumulates in the body, but we do need cobalt. How many farmers do you think actually put cobalt on the soil? Hardly, hardly, hardly any. Hardly any. I mean, I mean, you're like the select few even hearing this. There's hardly any. There's, there's some side dress um, type of fertilizers. There's some seed coatings that use cobalt. But in, in terms of building the cobalt level in the soil, uh, there's, there's hardly anybody. So there's all, there's all sorts of things. I love cobalt, you know, so much. But what I just put on five pounds per acre every year for the next 10 years, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So there's some, sometimes there's things that are viewed as like silver bullets. You know, I like copper sulfate. It does great things um, to prevent cracking and allows the bark to stretch. You know, I like, <laughs> you know, potassium sulfate, but when you reach a limit, you reach a limit. So there's all sorts of things that are great tools, but they can be misused. <laughs> Anybody notice what's wrong? So my advice is to find the easiest and safest material to take your soil toward health, because it'll take your family toward health too. Um, I will warn you that all-in-one fertilizers typically can be used wrong. You didn't realize it had this other ingredient in it. Like for instance, calcium, it's not required to put it on the label in all cases. You know, so you can build up calcium by using a certain product and not realize you're doing it. So, and the tendency can be a little is more, so more, a little bit is good, so more must be better. And it worked this year, so it's going to work every single year. Uh, there's definitely certain things like, you know, if for one year it works really good to use this product, you know, you want to do it and do it and do it and do it, but the problem is you will reach a limit. I guess my other advice is just keep everything as simple as you can. If you can, go to the raw ingredients and just add the ingredients in, and then we'll discuss the carbon issue later. Um, so, one, the thing that's 
most often overused is compost, you know, where it's kind of the square peg, round hole scenario. Uh, you're trying to force something to make it work. You've got it on site. It's free. It's available. It's black. It looks great. There's organisms growing in it. Um, in a lot of soils, you do need compost. But in a lot of soils that have been receiving manures for years and years and years on end, your health actually goes down. Uh, animal health, you can kill animals with high potassium, high potassium and sodium. So, but I am not against compost. I just want to make that clear. I just want to show you this is the one thing that typically gets overused. It, a lot of times it could just be easier just on a small scale until you get a good compost, composting system, just do without compost until... Because you can make the phosphate up elsewhere, you can make the potassium up elsewhere, and you get a good quality um, crop out of it. So this is an example of a soil sample I pulled in Colorado. This is a what I'm going to call a compost disabled soil. This is a um, the base saturation. The big problem on the soil is your base. You can hardly see that, can't you? Your base saturation on potassium is. 12 point, that's 13 percent basically. That's way too high. That's way too high. You start, um, you know, locking out manganese. This grower, this grower, you know, commented that I think her exact words were, you know, it's just not growing the way it used to grow. You know, she was getting, she was getting manure trucked in from a range-fed range, range fed, um, cattle in eastern Colorado. And she just said, it's just not growing as well as it used to. But compost has the tendency to imbalance calcium and magnesium. A lot of times the magnesium raises, and while it's doing that, the calcium drops. Um, compost typically makes extremely high potassium, especially with vegetable compost, and extremely high phosphate with manures, especially cattle manure and it makes really low copper in the plant. So copper is needed for um, fungal protection in the plant. Um, it's needed, I don't know how it's used in the humans, but there's some good research from animal science at Colorado State University on the need for copper, but the soil science people and the animal science people don't get together and discuss it. So there's, there's actually dissertations on the need for copper, but they won't recommend it in, a lot of times in, in Colorado. So compost is typically, just this is the big take-home point, is typically a better phosphate and potassium fertilizer than a nitrogen fertilizer. So my advice is test the compost and see how much, if any, your soil can actually take. Um, I do believe there's a natural law. I, I went over this in the last course, but I do believe there's, you know how David says, you know, I love your law. I, I believe that could even apply to the natural system as well. You know, it's like if we, you know, if you live in North Dakota, the law is it's going to get super cold and you better be bundled up and you better have enough wood on hand. Um, if you're in Texas, it's kind of, you know, you know, it'll get cold for a day. But, you know, so the laws are a little different place to place, but a soil is like our bodies, you know. It's like my body's not much different than your body, really. It requires good, complete nutrition. And a big warning, 
a nutrient excess is a lot harder to fix than a nutrient shortage. Um, not as bad on potassium because that can move out of the soil, that can be leachable. But on this next example, when the phosphate gets to 1,200 um, 1200 pounds and it should be at 750. This is really when growers say it doesn't grow as well as it used to. Um, and this, you know, she probably had a shortage of phosphorus and she was applying the manure and doing really well and wanted to keep doing it because she was doing so well. But it's kind of like uh, going too fast on a motorcycle over a ramp. You know, you just wish you had gone a little slower. Let's see if there's anything else that really needs to be said. So, I'm putting a lot of words on here, not to overload you, but just so there's enough information that if somebody picks this thing up, they can kind of digest it, and there's enough information to go by. Um, but this, I will say, this, this phosphate of 1222, I don't know of anybody that can reduce that number down to make the plant uptake the trace nutrients like it used to. I, if anybody ever knows of a way, I'm, I'm happy to listen to it, but I, I don't know how it's done. I'm sure the Lord knows. There must be a way. So, soils are not like baking. Baking starts with ingredients here, and you have an empty bowl there. Boy, this shows up really nice on my screen. And you move the ingredients into the bowl, and you've got your, your thing baking, essentially. Well, a soil doesn't work that way. Um, we start with varying levels of all the different ingredients, and by looking at it, by looking at the color or smell or whatever, you can't, you can't tell. Uh, by looking at the plants growing around, you can kind of get an idea, but you can't get a really full idea. So this is a picture of our soil test. Um, the big two things that the soil test tells you is your bowl size. You know, how much, what is your exchange capacity of that soil? The way that soils work is you have all these clay particles and even sand will have these negative sites all the way around them. And the cations, the positively charged particles, you know, the uh, calcium, magnesium, potassium, sodium, they latch on to those negative sites, you know, because positive and negative combine. So the more sites you have, the higher your, your bowl size. You know, it's like the difference between a five-gallon bucket and a teaspoon. You know, there's some soils that look like clays in the Ozarks, but they can hardly hold any nutrients, hardly. Um, that, that would be a case for compost. I mean, so you can actually build some kind of exchange capacity. So this soil is our garden soil. It's got 17.14 milli equivalents. That's a medium textured soil. That's kind, of a, that's kind of a nice point to be at, I think. You know, it has varying levels of ingredients. Some are excessive, some are adequate, some are needed. And then I just wanted to remind again for the viewers, uh, you know, baking starts with nothing in the bowl. Um, soils start with various bowl sizes and all sorts of nutrient loads and imbalances. So you're putting nutrients into a soil bank account to kind of, kind of create food reserves in a home. Essentially, through chemistry, you can affect the home for the microbes. You can affect whether that, you know, if, if you just put on, if all you did was put on uh, magnesium sulfate and you just put it on and put it on and put it on and put it on as safe as it is, you'd tighten that soil right up. 
people that drill wells know these things. You know, there's clay chemistry is very predictable. As one man said, you can't manage what you can't measure. So there's a lot of truth to that, to that as well. It doesn't mean we can't observe and, and make some judgments. <clears throat> so these are the best fertilizer ingredients. Um, I'll just kind of go through them as I can find them. Ammonium sulfate is a biologically safe nitrogen if it's not like way over, you know, way misused. It provides nitrogen when the plant needs it. It provides actually a microbial source of nitrogen to make proteins. And it provides sulfur, which is typically lacking. You won't get a lot of sulfur in a lot of compost in a low sulfur region. It'll compost just accumulate what is in that region, what, what went into that. So sulfur is one of the big things that's lacking to produce proteins. You need, you need to make sure you have enough sulfur in your soil. Now, I'm not saying boatloads. I'm just saying you just have, you have to have adequate amounts. You know, urea is an option. It's not my favorite option, but it is an option. Uh, calcium nitrate's an option. These are just some air-harvested nitrogen sources. Some people call them synthetics. Uh, you know, it's harvested out of the air. Uh, it really is the same free radical. When, the, when ammonium separates from sulfate, it's the same thing as if a soil bacteria was to make that. Uh, Monoammonium phosphate is a really good, all-around, good-purpose phosphate source. It's got a good pH. It doesn't lock up nearly like triple super will. Triple super is kind of your worst um, phosphate source in terms of you know how much how much it costs in the long run. Um, so basically, they mine phosphate rock, um, you know, which is a naturally occurring phosphate, and then they combine it somehow with natural gas, and that's, I don't know, somehow it makes nitrogen and phosphorus combined. Um, another phosphate source, which I really like, and if I, could, if I could use it in my soil, I would, but the calcium level's pretty high, but it's soft rock phosphate. And I think the best one for your dollar is the Tennessee brown phosphate. So I'll just put that out there. It's more of a reactive rock phosphate. So instead of like, the soft rock phosphate out of Florida, um, which is a 3% release in a season. More, more than often, people think this is more like a 7% in the first season release. So 7% of the total 20% releases in the first year, and then pretty much everything is released by year two. But Tennessee brown phosphate is a really a wonderful source of phosphorus. <clears throat> it's got a lot of calcium, it's got a lot of silicon, and it's got a lot of iron and some trace elements. For those of you that like fluoride, it does have fluoride. Because, um, and it doesn't have a tremendous amount of cadmium like a lot of phosphate sources can have. Uh, potassium sulfate, let's go on to potassium. Uh, let's see, now this one comes out of Great Salt Lake. So somehow they've got these evaporation ponds and they make potassium sulfate out of the lake. So other than the top two, the synthetic nitrogen and phosphate, everything else from here on out is certified organic in my program. So potassium sulfate is certified organic. If you need potassium and you don't have compost to add it, then that's a good source. It's 50% um, potash, so it's a high amount. KMAG 
is potassium, magnesium, sulfate. I think I'm not going to pick up all these. If you want to come up and look later, I would encourage you to. Uh, there's high calcium limestone. That's actually a great fertilizer. That's your, that's your best cost fertilizer out there. So if you're lacking calcium, you're not going to, you're not going to make proteins like you could. So your best two sources of that are high calcium limestone or gypsum, and it depends on the soil test. It doesn't depend on your pH. It depends on the soil test. There are times you use gypsum, there are definitely times you don't. There's times you use limestone, and there's times you don't. Um, dolomitic limestone, you know, these things, you can't tell by looking at these things what they actually are. So... You know, it's, it's kind of like compost. You can look at it, but you can't tell what's in this one and what's in this one. You just have to know what, is, what are the nutrients in there. So what, what we're trying to do, especially with calcium and magnesium, is you want to get a good balance of the clays so you get good aeration. You get that good aeration, then the microbes now can breathe and they can do something, and they, they won't stall out. So then the sky is kind of the limit. Ruan is sitting in the back there, and he's got a... He's got bananas he'd like to plant in his soil, but his base saturation of calcium is 30-some percent, and he needs, to be at, he needs to be at 68%. And now it only sounds like, well, you just need to double the calcium level. Well, no, that's like a 100x difference. You know, he'll notice massive changes when he brings it to 68. <laughs> so, again, clays are very predictable. Um, elemental sulfur... I will pick this one up. I think it's worthwhile seeing it. They, they make it into these little pellets. Oh, here we go. That look like this. They look like split peas. Don't ever buy elemental sulfur as powdered. You will totally regret it, and your lungs will really regret it. Don't do it. Just buy the, buy the granular. Um, there's no way you can apply it. I mean, this is, like, this is so simple to apply, and it's such a long-term sulfur source. C90 uh, or another sea salt if you're needing sodium. If you're needing boron, there's something called Granny Bore or Boron 15. This company here, Cameron Chemicals, is bringing in this boron, I think, out of Chile or out of probably Chile. So they're importing one, but it's not the same as Granny Bore, even though the percentages are this, pretty much the same. Um, this one will release a lot slower. Yes? Borax and uh, granny bore are very similar. Mm -hmm. You can use borax, but how, how much do you like spreading powders on a windy day? They, they can be kind of a pain. Um, so. Or a small gardener. Um, small gardener, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, that he brings up a good point. A lot of times you want to try to mix everything together so then you can make multiple passes on it and get a pretty good spread. But yeah, um, borax is 11% boron and granny bore is 14.3%. This stuff, they say, is 15%, but this will release slower than granny bore. So sometimes you want, it, you want a slow release. Um, iron sulfate. Here's the organic version. 
This one just got on the Omri list two or three weeks back. It's from, uh, this one is from QC Corporation. So finally, the company went through all the paperwork and got it approved. Um, so on our farm, we need a truckload every year for the next couple of years. So quite a bit of iron sulfate. This stuff is hard to spread, but this, uh, there's iron sulfate heptahydrate and there's monohydrate. And monohydrate looks like this. It's nice and pelleted, but it releases quite a bit slower. So if you need to build iron right here and right now, this is your, this is your best bet. Um, and again, as, you're, as you bring everything in balance, more of this stuff a lot of times becomes available. So like we're starting at 20 to 50 parts per million um, iron. And probably just by balancing the soil, it'd probably raise it to 50 to 80. You know, I'm just assuming. But a lot of times it goes up and down like that. Manganese sulfate is your best uh, manganese supply. We have an overabundance in our valley. So I don't think I'll ever need that. Uh, a lot of people think it's iron, which causes the redness in our soils, but it's the manganese. Zinc sulfate, 35%. What time does this class go to? Five, five. five o'clock, okay. Zinc sulfate, 35%. That's your, that's your best uh, zinc source. Copper sulfate, 25%. Notice that all of these, I, I keep saying the same word, sulfate, 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 sulfate because they're available and a soil really can use sulfur to make humus. If you're lacking sulfur, you really can't build humus that effectively. So plants need actually quite a bit of sulfur, especially if you're growing like brassicas, uh, like cabbage, broccoli, that kind of thing. I will pick up these because most people probably don't know what they look like. This is sodium molybdate. You need very small amounts of this, but when you need it, you need it. Otherwise, the plant can build up nitrate and it turns kind of toxic to animals. And then cobalt sulfate, this is, this is the element that goes in the middle of B12. So ruminant animals, you, if their ruminant animals aren't growing well on that property, a lot of times it's either copper or it's cobalt or it's phosphorus. Could be other things too, but. Uh, silicon, I get that with do, do, do. Well, azomite or planters two, uh, soft rock phosphate really is my, I love that stuff. That stuff is really great. You know, it's, it's not an immediate phosphate source, but it has just a lot of, a lot of kick to it. Uh, kelp is good for trace elements, and a lot of people try to use kelp to build their iodine levels, but all the studies I've seen on iodine is like, you're going to, you're going to empty your bank account, so don't do it. I mean, you're talking, it's only like 700 to 1,000 parts per million iodine. Um, there's some high iodine kelps now that are kind of fortified, but How you're... Would you, how would you raise iodine? Huh? How would you raise iodine? Potassium iodate. Um, and if anybody wants more information, I could send you... There's really no soil test for iodine or selenium. So I'm naming these two because they're typically deficient in people. Uh, if you're low in selenium, you can't fight cancer real well. If you're low in iodine, well, you can't. You'll be cold. You can't manage your temperature very well in your body. So it's, it's one of those things where there's really no soil test for it. So you do a tissue analysis of known crops. Uh, sodium selenate, not selenite. You want to use the eight versions of these. 
sodium selenate. Now, if anybody's actually going to follow through and put those on their soil, give me a call first and I'll send you some information to read through. But, I mean, there's really no good research on this. Um, so, one thing that can be really helpful is to add a carbon with your synthetic nitrogen source. This is kind of a Reams idea, I know, but I think there's some validity to it. So you can add a black humate, which is a mined product. You could add a little bit of compost. I mean, you could do molasses, just some carbon source so that nitrogen has a place to, so the bacteria have some carbon to feed off of as they are making their proteins. So biological food. So the correct path in any kind of soil is learn the need with a good soil test. I think we've kind of hit that, but I want to make sure it's on the notes so people that read it can know it. Um, we actually have, I mean, praise the Lord, we actually have a fairly decent soil to start with. We don't have horrible excesses or horrible, well, we got some bad deficiencies, but it's easier to build up a deficiency than to remove an excess. Um, you know, then you have to look into your nutrient options, and typically that's not best done by you if you're not like really well versed. It's maybe not even best done by me, but you know, whatever lab you're choosing, have them do a recommendation. I have one lab that I like very much, but I also know that people have their labs of choice. Um, the ingredients I went over, I believe, are the right are the best ingredients. I will bring up one more. If you're using boron, you can use boric acid. It's not a caustic acid. It's just, that's, and it's not really that soluble, but it is the form that the plants take up. So you can get more bang for your buck with boric acid. It just doesn't come in a granular form. But um, everything else that I talked about, I mean, it's basically, if your soil is needing 250 pounds of potassium sulfate here, and then you need 250 pounds later, it's kind of kind of add it, add it on in. You know, and while you're doing this, you know, it's good to practice biological principles, you know, not excessive tilling, not, you know, not a lot, of, not herbicide spraying, you know, keep the biology alive. So now the tricky part about all of this is sourcing the ingredients, especially on a garden level. There are companies out there that will prepackage what you need into a package. I don't exactly know who they are. I think Peaceful Valley might. I think our farm should, but I don't want to step on anybody's toes if somebody's already doing it. But I think for we need a lot of nutrients for our internal use, and we could pass on the savings to others and help fund the school at the same time. So if anybody's interested in that, let me know. Um, I would even be entertained like uh, brokering bulk shipments. Um, I've Maybe there's others that have like don't like to be that want to keep their costs down, but I really don't like paying too much for fertilizers. You can you could empty a, a bank account pretty quick. Let me give you an example. Last fall, last spring, I got priced seven hundred dollars and twenty seven twenty five per ton for ferrous sulfate. Now I figured out who the suppliers were, and I can actually go direct to the suppliers, and it's. You know what they would charge me is three twenty a ton. Both of them, they kind of, they kind of work together. They got a little collusion thing going on, I think. But, but three hundred twenty. So you think about okay, if you need a full truckload, forty four, you know, which is twenty two tons times the difference of about three hundred, you know, you're almost up to seven thousand dollars here. You know, some 
so shopping around, it takes, a, it takes some time to figure out who these suppliers are. They don't just advertise themselves. Um, and a lot of times, things like, you know, monoammonium phosphate, you have to have a 100-ton order minimum. I've, I've called them. They don't want to deal with me. <laughs> they go through other people. So, but I think I've, at least on our farm, I've got it as cheap as I possibly can get it from domestic sources. I mean, there's Chinese sources, but I don't want to, I don't want to go that route. Um, and again, I'm asking the question, why not just compost and manure? I'm not putting it up here for you. I'm putting it up for the next people that'll be viewing this. And, uh, so essentially this soil would do well with a low calcium, low magnesium compost. Potassium would likely limit the comp compost amount added to the soil. And my recommendation is on this soil test that I run, which is through Kinsey um, Ag Services, you know, don't exceed 7.5% base saturation on the potassium. And which on this soil bowl size, you know, it's 1,000 pounds per acre. So places to research these nutrients are shown here. Um, there's a, now there's, there are a million places to look for nutrients, and there's not one that's like an all-in-one package that has really good prices. That's what I found. You know, you just have to kind of... And again, I can send, I can send this list to anybody, so maybe after the meeting I can take your email and I can just send it directly to you on a PDF. <clears throat> now, I did say that all of this stuff is on the OMRI... OMRI list. Um, pretty much everything that's showing up here other than these synthetic nitrogens are OMRI approved. So a lot of this stuff, um, you know, to me it doesn't make any sense. You know, you have a product like boric acid. Well, not boric acid, but granubor. Okay, this is kind of a man-made substance, so somehow this passes, but somehow this doesn't. When this is proven to be very there's no heavy metals. I mean, there's some heavy metals, but it's not more than anything else. I mean, why, why the discrepancy? And I think, it's just, I think it's just our mindset more than anything. There really isn't a, a good reason. Um, in my opinion, we as Adventists need to focus so heavily on providing the most value to people nutritionally and lean, like basically overextend ourselves producing nutrient density. Like make sure it's so that there's something of value that when people eat it, they say, wow, this must have come from an Adventist. Um, so all of this stuff, we, are, we have certified organic acreage. We have about 30 acres that's certified organic. Um, we don't, you know, funding is always the issue, so we haven't, like, fertilized hardly anything on the farm. But, you know, the, the potential, specifically once we get iron sulfate, brought on site, you know, I think the, the yields will go up pretty dramatically. Our yields are not bad because our calcium and magnesium, but our, our quality could definitely improve. Um, so like Peaceful Valley Farm Supply, if you're on the west coast, is good. Lancaster Ag on the east coast is good. In the middle of the country, I've got some one supplier that I deal with. In Utah, I've got another supplier. In Texas, there's another one. Um, a lot of these things, though, just need to be basically trucked into one site. I mean, my, my, my hope in Adventist agriculture is that we'll have multiple suppliers 
around the country that we can actually operate like a unified body that you know it wouldn't all be coming to utah and then redistributed halfway back across the country but there would be like every state would have their own site and then once we have the nutrition in place then you know as you're growing the nutrition and you're growing leaves you compost that and you stick it back on site and you just have this you just have this cycle of nutrients on your own property and um so your best option for 50-pound bags is local co-ops and agronomy centers. Um, this is a real problem. Like, if you're not real specific with them and know really what you're looking for, they'll, they don't know probably much better than you do. So if you ask for zinc sulfate and you're on the East Coast near Virginia, because there's one specific company that, uh, you know, they sell an oxysulfate. Well, an oxysulfate is nothing like a sulfate. Um, they'll say it is. I'd like to see it on the crop response. But, you know, you need to make sure that... You just try to stick with the sulfates is my recommendation. Um, everybody makes their oxysulfates different. It's just not even worth spending time on. <clears throat> For certain things like cobalt and molybdenum, there's uh, feed-grade nutrient dealers. Um, we needed a lot of cobalt and molybdenum on our property, so I bought 200 pounds of molybdenum and I bought 100 pounds of cobalt sulfate while the price is cheap and I'm redistributing it. So if anybody has a soil test and they need it while I'm here, just let me know. I've got some one pound and five pound bags. Um, but these things are kind of hard to get because like, you know, you'll go down to get the Brandt chemical product and it's like 33 bucks a pound. In a, in a five pound bag, that's, that's pretty steep. And this one is probably close to $30 a pound. But um, uh, you also have local compost and manure. And I'm, again, I'm giving an example. If your soil only needs 200 pounds of potassium and adding compost will add 50 pounds per ton, it's better not to add more than four tons per acre of compost. That's just a... That's my suggestion to you. Um, I believe in time. I believe definitely in heaven. You know, we're not going to be adding nitrogen. I don't believe compost will really need to be added. Um, I do believe that the air contains all the nitrogen we need if we can get the soil nutrition right and the biology breathing. And they need cobalt and they need molybdenum to make nitrogen come out of the air. So we need, these are just basic cofactors and enzymes. If you don't have it, you don't have it. So there's just some regions that, you know, they're just kind of devoid of it. Um, but in the meantime, we are putting down nitrogen. And so if you look at the soil test, you'll see something called ENR on the nitrogen. It'll say like 68 pounds. So it's basically how much nitrogen is projected to release off the humus that's in there. And it's, a pretty, it's pretty accurate. I mean, believe me, it actually is pretty accurate. If you just put a lot of compost or a nitrogen fertilizer on, well, then you can get a nitrate test and ammonium test to see how much nitrogen is still in the soil that's free nitrogen, not in the humus. And you add the two of those together, the ENR and the free nitrogen, that gives you total nitrogen. And then whatever your crop needs, if you need 150 pounds of nitrogen or you need 100, well, then you just do the math. Uh, your water, 
can supply a lot of your nutrients. So if you're coming onto a new farm and you need all this calcium and you have really high calcium water, sometimes you can start building calcium just with your water. We build calcium, we maintain 80% calcium, 10% magnesium on our soil, and it's done with our water. <laughs> and, we're, and we're growing alfalfa, which is a high remover. So fifth review, this is just a review of just prices per unit do vary widely, wildly. So if you, you ask this one co-op and then you go to their competitor 20 miles down the road and you ask another co-op, you are gonna get different prices in almost all cases. Um, I would say shop around, but I, I really think people would spend their time better if there was an Adventist that was coordinating all of this. And actually one per state, you know, that would be the ideal where one person per state. We could order in bulk. Our, our farmers, you know, we've got some large farmers actually in the conference here. Everybody would be buying in bulk instead of going through a dealer. So we need, there's nothing wrong with, with supporting your local dealer, but there's no reason to put money in somebody else's pocket for no reason. And that's the point that we're at. So... Remember that, that, that difference in iron sulfate is not, I've, I've done pricing like this quite a bit, you know, and $700 a ton versus $320 a ton. I mean, you do the math. I mean, that money could go toward <clears throat> setting up a farm in Columbia or something like that, you know? Yeah. You never know. You always want to compare apples and apples. So if something says like, like iron sulfate will say 30% iron and it's, uh, $380 a ton, whereas this 20% is $320 a ton, well, you think, well, that's, that's actually more iron, and you're right, it is. But if your crop needs iron and is screaming for iron, this is your, the one you want to use. Now, this is the worst nutrient to apply. Like, it's just, it's just dusty. But, um, you know, it is, a, it is needed in the ground, and once you add it, you'll know that you added it. Um, so just always make sure you're comparing the apples and apples. Um, make sure they're not trying to sell you an oxysulfate or an oxide coated with, with sulfuric acid. A lot of times um, a co-op worker will call it a sulfate. It's not a sulfate until it's SO4. If it's oxide and sulfur, that doesn't make it sulfate. So also buy the product you actually need. If, if they have one thing, a lot of times it can work, but if you're kind of new at it, you can buy the wrong product pretty easily. Like if you need a 711 fertilizer, I'll, I'll pick on this one because we own it. It's a 711 fertilizer. Well, really, this 1% phosphate, so this is nitrogen, phosphate, potassium, but it's really not nitrate, nitrogen, nitrogen, available phosphate, so this level is actually more like a 4% total phosphate. This is the way Americans display fertilizers. Um, and then this one's about a 1% potash. So, and then it also has, this one doesn't have calcium, but a lot of these organic fertilizers, if they're like manure-based, chicken litter-based, they can have quite a bit of calcium. So if you don't need calcium and you, you're like on iron deficiency already, you're gonna make the, you could make the problem worse. Um, stay away from oxysulfates. 
steer clear of manures with pharmaceuticals. <laughs> this is becoming a bigger problem, I believe. I don't want to sound like an extremist, but I do believe it's a bigger and bigger problem. And also there's, there's some trace nutrients coming out of China with really exorbitant um, cadmium levels and arsenic levels, specifically zinc and phosphate. So I would really be cautious. You know, you don't want to take your little plot and compromise it by using something that seems natural because there's stuff going into manure that didn't go in there 50 and 100 years ago. Um, and unfortunately, organic sometimes is not the best, safest, and most predictable batch to batch. You have batch to batch variability more so than a lot of times because it's, it's unregulated. I don't want it regulated, but, but like uh, Ruan was saying, uh, you have, like he gets, a, he gets a manure down there where they just kind of sprinkle hydrated lime all over the place. And so he's got, I think it was like something like 300 pounds per ton or 200 pounds per ton of calcium. Well, in the next batch, he may have 100. In the next batch, he may have 700. It depends how, how much they're sprinkling down on the ground. So his is a very variable form of manure. Um, I'm going to mention this. Also, uh, don't be scared of chemical dealers. You know, they're, they're people. There's some, I'm sensing that there's, that there's some of our people that are getting scared by anybody that handles chemicals. And I, I think if the Lord has given you a deficiency in your soil, likely one of these guys can step in and become a, become a help to you, be a friend to them. You know, even if they sell, don't, don't bring up the words Monsanto or GMO or Bayer, Dow, Syngenta. Just be a friend to them. You know, um, when you can, opt for granular fertilizers. The only exception is if you really need iron, then this is your best bet. But everything else, pretty much, well, other than these powders, can be granular. But granular fertilizers look like this. They just, they blend nicely, they spread nicely. Um, you almost can't beat it. And then measure your land accurately. There, there's no purpose in pulling a soil sample if you can't measure your land accurately. Use Google Maps, use ArcGIS Explorer, use an app that you can download, uh, use a wheel, just measure it accurately. Is it 700 or is it 800 square feet? Is it 725 or is it 753? Just get as accurate as you possibly can. And when you pull a sample, you make sure you pull a sample for one soil type. So this is what the granular mix looked like. And this is the way it looked after it was watered in. Now, we had pinto beans that we put down. We had the granular mix. We had powdered Tennessee brown phosphate at a very low rate. And then we had ferrous sulfate this material that got put down. Now, most of those things watered in. The beans obviously don't water in. But everything else, that's about an inch and a half of water watered everything in. So your bare minimum is gonna be one half inch of water to water it in. And most of the time, it's gonna be more like one to one and a half inches to water your fertilizers in. Um, here's what I think are some of the best fertilizer spreaders out there. Now, if you're running some acres, like bananas or something, I think the Vicon spreader is super nice. I, I like it, it spreads evenly. Uh, it's fairly low tech, but it has a little swinging arm out there. 
And there's all sorts of options that come with it or that you can make come with it. If you're doing big fields, I think these airflow spreaders, there's not a lot that really beats them in terms of accuracy. They'll put the nutrients right where you want them. They're expensive though. So you gotta be running a couple thousand acres to probably pay for it. For garden beds, there's something called a Granomax spreader and it's like a little pendulum spreader that you just sling over your arm. I just learned about this thing and I tried it out. The only problem with it, it's got a design flaw, is that it crimps, it crimps in that little tube and then it doesn't keep the same flow. But if you can keep it from crimping, it's actually pretty accurate. So if you've got a bed that needs fertilizer and just that bed, I haven't found any, another way that's better. A lot of times you wanna use some kind of a filler in order to make it spread farther, like sand or something like that to make it spread. Um, but basically it works great on our two and a half foot wide beds. Um, this is a good belly spreader for 16 foot swaths. You know, I was fertilizing the other day with beans and it did pretty well. Um, here's different resources. I'm almost out of time. He's going to cut me off. And then here's some other resources. So um, all of this is available by PDF. So have a happy, full nutrition harvest. Make it full. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.